Hello there, and welcome to the SLP Now podcast, where we share practical therapy tips and ideas for busy speech-language pathologists. Grab your favorite beverage and sit back as we dive into this week's episode. Welcome to episode three of the podcast. Today, we're answering the question of how can I possibly survive IEP season? Because we are definitely in the middle of it and it's a struggle. And even if you're not in your IEP season, we're constantly being bombarded with paperwork and no one gets into speech therapy because they love paperwork. It is a constant struggle between the IEPs, Medicaid billing, lesson planning, data collection, file organization, all of the things. It sometimes feels like all we do is manage our caseload instead of actually doing the work that we love and being there for our students and giving them therapy. Just keeping up with all of the daily paperwork can feel like even more than a full-time job and if or actually when you fall behind, it feels like such an enormous pressure and I know it's something that I have definitely been weighed down by. And like I said in the first podcast, we always want to advocate for change and if we can come up with solutions to those problems, they might not always be in our control. Like we might not be able to change our workload expectations or have an immediate impact on our caseload, but there are things that we can still advocate for and open up the discussion with our administrators and work together to improve the situation as a whole. But in the meantime, we're expected to keep up with the paperwork and our IEPs and all of that, and we have to find some ways to survive while that change is happening. It's definitely not going to happen overnight, and it's something that we really want to keep working on. And we do know that students who are on smaller caseloads are more likely to make measurable progress than those on large caseloads. And that is such a sad statistic because it's truly impacting our students. That quote was from study by schooling in 2003. So these outcomes are less likely when we have really large caseloads and really expanded responsibilities, which emphasizes the importance of advocating for that change. But there are things that we can do in the meantime to survive and make it possible. Like I said, I had a caseload in the triple digits and I did find some really good ways to survive and maybe even thrive within the chaos. But like I said, I'm going to be sharing all of these tips, but we still want to be thinking about making that change. And I really think it's something we can do together. And I hope that in the meantime, these hacks are helpful. And the goal behind all of the things that I'm going to suggest are to really save our brain power for the good stuff, for the therapy for the things that are really going to move the needle for our students. And a lot of these are meant to save time and help us be more efficient at the things that we do, at the things that take us away from our students. And so hopefully you'll be able to take away at least one or two tips to save yourself some time. And I don't think they'll all work for all of you. 
So like I said, really try and pick out one or two that you can try and let me know how it goes. So first step is to schedule it out. Be kind to your future self. And I know I am very, very good at procrastinating on the things that I don't love to do. I've grown to not dislike it quite so much, but writing IEPs isn't always super fun. Let's just be real. (laughs) And so it's something that we do sometimes want to procrastinate on and we don't want to do it until we absolutely have to. But there is so much power in scheduling it out and trying to work ahead. So every time I get a new caseload, I map out all of the IEP days dates for the year. I just draw a little sheet and I have box for March and February and March and April and May all through the year. And then I map out when all of the different IEPs are due. And inevitably, there's a month or two that are absolutely bonkers. Like there's way more IEPs than any other month. And I don't want to hate my life when I get to that month. So I make a plan to schedule it out. And I don't always want to move up the IEP date, although that is an option because if you do it once, then hopefully the next few years won't be quite so crazy. But if you don't want to or are not able to move the IEP date, you can at least get started on the paperwork ahead of time. So you're not writing 30 IEPs in one month and you might have 30 IEP meetings in one month, but then at least you won't be doing all of that crazy paperwork and you'll be able to focus on just being present for the meetings and not having to miss all of your therapy sessions because you're doing so much writing and because you have so many meetings. So like I said, I map it out and then I start working on the IEPs ahead of time. And I have a system that we'll talk about in just a couple items, but that's super helpful for me. So then the paperwork is all done, then I can just pull it and go to the meeting and I'm not quite so stressed. I kind of distribute the workload so there's not crazy fluctuations throughout the year and that gives me a little bit more stability and sanity in those crazy months. The second tip that I have is making checklists. So it's so incredibly easy to be overwhelmed by all of the things that we're doing. And I've talked several times about doing a brain dump and just letting out all of the things that we have on our to-do list because they end up just repeating in our brain all day long. And that's what makes us so stressed. We're stressed because we're thinking about all of the things that we have to do and we feel like we don't know when they're going to get done and we're doubting it and we're nervous about it and it's just a constant stressor. And it's not fun walking around like that. So one of my biggest strategies is just to dump all of my tasks onto a to-do list and make a plan to tackle them. But the tricky thing is with referrals and IEPs and evaluations is that there are so many of them and they're recurring. So if I were to write out all of the things on my brain for every single referral and every single IEP and every single evaluation, that would be a lot of brain dumping and there's no point in brain dumping that many times for something that we do all the time. So I seriously benefited from coming up with a process and then making a checklist, documenting all of the steps. So all I have to do is just make a copy of that checklist 
And so I just wrote it once and then I just copy it so I have it for every single referral. I have a different version for every single IEP. I have a different version for every single evaluation. And that's all I have to do. So you can do this in a couple different ways. So I started out with a printed checklist and I just made sure that I was meeting all of the requirements and like got feedback from some SLPs because the worst thing is when you miss a part of an IEP or a referral and then you have to go back and scramble to get it done. Like I was notorious to get the teacher feedback on time so I'd be scrambling to get that or I'd forget to collect a language sample and I'd be trying to pull a student and it or I'd forget to do the oral motor exam. And so it's just so much easier if you have it listed out and then you just check, 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 and you don't forget any of the pieces and you don't have to have that running through your brain because it's just all on the piece of paper. So I will share the templates that I used to use if you go to slpnow.com forward slash three so you can download those and access them. But then, like I said, that's what I used to use Now I started using a digital task system. I really like it because I can access it anywhere. It's a little bit more environmentally friendly. I don't have to be printing a bunch of papers and I was able to work a little bit faster on there. And just to back up a second, Asana is like a digital task management system. It's a web application. You can download the app on your phone. Or you can go to asana.com and access your task on any web browser. And it just helps you keep track of all of the different due dates and all of the different tasks for like every single IEP. And I don't think it's HIPAA compliant or anything like that. So I just make sure to use initials and don't have any confidential kind of information in there. But it just really helps to manage the process. And I use it to keep track of like, In episode one, we talked about problem solving, and I use that to keep a log of all the different problems I'm having, and then I use that to pull out my goals and all of that. So it's just a super helpful tool. And then when I'm scheduling out my IEPs, for example, I'll just copy my list of tasks and paste it under there, and then I'm good to go. And it's totally free, so that's a really great system, and I like that I can If I'm like on the go, like if I'm trying to plan an IEP meeting or whatever, I can just add in the different tasks and while I'm out and about and I don't have to have like my checklist with me or anything like that. So that has been super helpful. But if you're more of a pen and paper kind of gal then or guy, you can totally use checklists or you can come up with your own system. I've seen SLPs print on sticky notes, which is kind of cool. My process is always, like, I feel like my IEPs and referrals and evaluations have a little bit more to them than can easily fit on a sticky note, but that's an option as well. So that was number two, making those checklists. Like I said, it just really helps get things out of your brain so you can focus on the good stuff in terms of, like, making sure you have a really good IEP or you're really getting to know a student and making a good referral and all of those pieces. So that was two. Now on to number three, I can only work on a handful of IEPs or evaluations at a time before it gets to be too much for me to manage. And that's why I really like using, I found this hanging file folder when I was a CF 
it's like a hanging thing. I'll share a link to it in the show notes, but it's this hanging thing and it has color-coded folders. It's beautiful. Like, I kind of don't want to tell you this, but if you fold it up, you can bring it home too. It's totally movable. Like, if you're in different schools, you can totally just pack it up with you and bring it to all of your different sites. Please don't bring it home because we don't want to do paperwork at home, but you can do that if you need to. But I really like the file folder. I believe it has seven pockets, and so that's probably my max that I can work on at any one time, and I just use that. So I'll put all the different IEPs or evaluations that I'm working on, and I'll keep them in there, and they're color-coded, so I can color-code in Asana. So if I'm like, okay, I have some report time, this task is up next, this is a purple task, I need to grab the purple folder, and then I'm off to the races, and I'm just like so incredibly efficient, I get so much more done, and it just makes my organization heart happy. Like I love when color-coded organization actually helps me be more productive. And that is one situation that makes a huge difference. So that organization system is incredibly helpful. I am impartial to the hanging file folder, but you can totally use just any other kind of file folders if they're color-coded bonus points, or you can just grab manila folders to organize the paperwork and use like a desk file or just keep them at the front of your file cabinet. There's so many different options. You can just add like a color. You can use a couple markers to color code your files if you want to benefit from that, even if you're just using the manila folders. There's so much good stuff that you can do with that. But I think keeping the papers organized is so important because if you are so busy and we don't have time to dig through a pile of papers on our desk, like just put them in a folder and then when you do have a minute to work on your paperwork, All you have to do is just pull that thing. You don't have to dig through things. You don't have to worry about, oh, where is that thing that I need to write this IEP? It's all going to be organized for you in one place, and it makes such a big difference. Now on to number four. We want to have some templates. So it is so much easier to write a report when you have a template to get you started. I don't know about you, but I can procrastinate like no other when it comes to writing. I think there's something incredibly intimidating about a blank piece of paper or a blank screen because we always do our IEPs on the computer, but it's just really hard for me to get over that initial hump. And if you are like me in that way, it is so incredibly helpful to have some templates because then you just open up your template, and you just get to start plugging away. It's so much easier to get started. I started procrastinating a lot less, and I was able to take off some of the cognitive load and just really focus on the student and what I wanted to say about that student and focusing on figuring out how I was going to help him or her in the most effective way. It was so amazing once I started using that. And especially as a newer SLP, it's just really overwhelming. Like, what in the world do I want to say here? I've always really liked using templates, but even after writing hundreds upon hundreds of documents, it's just still super helpful. And like I said, it helps us get the basis covered, and then we have more time and energy to focus on the student and writing a really awesome 
report that's going to be really helpful for the IEP team and the student. And I used a lot of different strategies to come up with my templates. I really asked SLPs that I admired in my district and who I knew were writing really good reports. And I asked if they could share some of their things with me. A lot of them had templates too, so I was able to pull from there. I think it's a really smart SLP thing to do to have some templates. So that was really helpful. If you are in a district by yourself, you can look at past reports and see if there's anything helpful there. Because a lot of times there's things that are really specific to the district. Like there's just some things that your district will require. I've been in a couple of districts. Each one has slightly different things. So that's why I think it's really helpful to reach out to colleagues and look at past reports as you're building those templates. I'm not half bad at writing reports either. So if I did have to write something myself, I would just copy that and add it to my templates too. But if you are needing some extra support beyond that, Jenna from Speech Room News has a really helpful list of paperwork shortcuts. I'll share the link in the show notes there. Home Speech Home also has a really helpful page of speech therapy test descriptions, which is super helpful when it comes to writing evaluations. And yeah, just don't forget to look at your previous reports, other colleagues, and all of that. Those are really amazing resources that we can lean on. So that was step number four. And I spent some time putting together my templates, but then (laughs) I realized that I had a hard time. Like my document got really, really long. It ended up being, I don't know how many pages of templates. And it was just challenging to find what I needed when I needed. And it ended up still letting me procrastinate because I was like, oh, I don't know where to find what I need. So that's where number five, the text expander comes in. It is absolutely amazing. I love it so much. In my district, I use my personal computer to write my reports. I'm just a little bit more savvy on a Mac. So I use the app called Text Expander, but I believe they have a Windows version too. And I believe it's free for educators. I would just double check that. And you might have to go through your IT department to get it set up, but it is such a helpful tool. So, how mine set is set up, I have different categories and you could organize it whatever in whatever way makes the most sense but I have different categories of like just general evaluation I have ones with the tests I have different ones for the different components of IEPs that I'm writing and I wrote a blog post and I'll share the link in the show notes too um, that dives into a little bit more detail but I'll back up a second too and A text expander is, so if I type dot I-L-I or whatever I decide the shortcut is, it can expand, so hence text expander, into whatever I program into the app. So if I say I love IEPs is the expanded version of dot I-L-I, then every time I type dot I-L-I, it'll expand to say, I love IEPs. And so for an example of phrase that I made, so I would do like in one of my IEP systems, we had to do a bunch of prior notice things. And I ended up writing really similar things all the time. So I did like 
for the first box, I did dot .pn1, so prior notice one, and that would have kind of the templated things that I say all the time, and then all I have to do is just edit it. So I might remove some components, add some components, whatever makes sense for that student. So I just do dot .pn1, and it would expand to whatever I need to fill in that first box. Then dot .pn2 would be whatever I need to fill in the second box, and I just go through there. And like I said, this isn't replacing our clinical decision-making. We're not being brainless. It's helping us get the basics down so we have more cognitive resources and time to really do that clinical thinking. So it's meant to make our reports better and not just to make them be super templated. So one more example of how I use this, I have kind of a general, like general things that I like to look at at for present levels for the first grade versus second grade versus preschool versus kindergarten. So I'll do dot PL for present levels and then I'll just add the number or the grade. So I'll do dot PL1 for first grade, dot PL5 for fifth grade. And that's how I set that up. So I try and make it be really easy to guess which phrases I need to use. And then I have like a general thing that I would often say about behavior. So that's BX, for example. So you can really think of those different types of things that you're writing all the time to make it a little bit easier. And then for evaluations, you can do like .gfta, .caap, .pls, or whatever ones you give all the time. And then you just fill in from there. So that's a really helpful tool and it's been such a huge game changer. But then when you're using those templates, you also have to make sure that you don't make silly mistakes, which brings us to number six, find and replace. So I decided to use three asterisks to replace any names. So when I'm writing the report, then I can do command F or control F on a PC. It depends on which software you're using, but I'll go to the replace option. So I'll type in the three asterisks and type in the student's name. And then I came up with, like I do two asterisks for, or no, that won't work. Yeah, but you have to have like a, a space. So remember to do space, three asterisks, space, and then space, two asterisks, space. Because if you just do the two asterisks, then it'll be a mess. So just use that system. <laughs> and then I was able to replace all of the pronouns, just like the he or the she or the they. And then I used four asterisks for like the possessive pronouns. And then it just made it really easy. And then it avoided the situation of parents being frustrated that I was calling their beautiful girl a he or any of those kinds of things. And it just doesn't make us look good if we can't use the correct pronoun. So the find and replace tool is a really good trick. And if you are using templates, just decide on what you want to represent the he and the she and all of that. And so that's one really helpful trick to make sure we're getting it all right. So those are the helpful tips when it comes to writing the paperwork. One thing that I mentioned before is that I always forgot to collect a language sample ahead of time and that ended up being a little bit of a problem because it takes a little bit of time to put together. I knew how incredibly important it was 
to collect a language sample, but a part of me did not want to do it because it was so intimidating and it took so much time. There's a lot of research out there that shows why we want to take the time to collect these language samples. Ebert and Scott in 2014 wrote an article that talks about them as a valid complement or even an alternative to norm reference testing. Language samples address many of the weaknesses of norm reference testing, like they're more culturally sensitive. We don't have to worry about items that students from different cultures or with different dialects will get incorrect because of how the test was created with a specific culture in mind. They also provide rich in-depth information about how a child uses the language in real-world situations. That gives us stronger ecological validity, and it makes it a lot easier to come up with language treatment targets. We have to be careful when we're writing treatment targets based on standardized or norm-reference tests, but with language samples, we get to see how the students are using the language in this very real-life situation, and it helps us come up with better goals. There's also very few behavioral requirements. We don't have to have a very, like, quote-unquote, sterile testing environment to be able to make use of the results. We can listen to and see what the student is saying on the playground or in recess or in the speech room when playing games or whatever it needs to be. We have a lot more flexibility. And this is great for diverse ages and diverse impairments because it gives us lots of options and we get to make it work for the student. They've also been a valid assessment for diverse populations, including bilingual children and speakers of non-standard dialects. And it doesn't have to take you hours upon hours to analyze. There's some really great ways that we can look at the language sample that doesn't take you a long time. I ended up creating a Google Sheet, and you can totally use it as a spreadsheet in Excel too, but I made this spreadsheet that I use, I open it up whenever I'm collecting a language sample, and then I just start typing what the student is saying. And I like to collect a couple different types of language samples because it is so incredibly interesting to see how the student's language changes across different situations, and it provides some really helpful information. And then it gives me more data too to back up my goals and different assessment ideas. So when we type this language sample into the spreadsheet, we can do it in a couple ways. So we can just type the words that they're saying, and then I just type that as they're talking. And then at the end, I'll go through and make any comments about grammatical or syntax things that I noticed and any other notable observations. And then I can use that to calculate the average length of a sentence. And so we can do that in words if we leave things as is. Or we can add spaces between all of the morphemes. Because like I said, we're doing this with Google Sheets. And Google Sheets is not smart enough to know what a morpheme is. It's a pretty genius tool, but not a speech therapist. So if we go through and add spaces between all of the morphemes, we can get the average morphemes in every utterance. And there's some really great norms out there that we can use to analyze this sample and kind of get an idea of whether the student is meeting the expectations or is in line with the norms for his or her age. And that is a really helpful indicator. We won't be diving into this in this presentation or this podcast, but we can look at different other measures as well. 
there's some really great articles out there. If you guys are having that as a problem in figuring out how to analyze your language samples or how to write goals around them, definitely let us know. Submit that as a question at slpnow.com forward slash ask. We can dive into that in a future episode. But just a quick overview of how that works. I just open up the sheet. I will enter the student's name. Some districts have a HIPAA compliant version of Google because they use it across the district. Definitely check even if your district uses it, but we didn't have that upgraded version or whatnot. So I just used initials when I was setting up my sheet, but I just put in the date and the time, and then I made a note of which type of sample I was collecting. And then I would copy that because I usually, I would just copy that sheet so that I could use that for the other types of samples I wanted to collect. And then I just navigate between the different tabs. But I like to time the language samples so I have a good idea of how much they're saying in how much time because that's helpful. And then, like I said, I just add relevant notes and observations and kind of looking at their content form and use. Then I just process the spreadsheet and clean up any extra rows and then enter the number of utterances that I typed in. And then the sheet automatically calculates the MLU for me, and I can print this and add it to their file, or I can attach it to the report if I want to use it as like a type of work sample. But it's just a really nice little system that I like to use. And like I said, it's super helpful when it comes to writing goals, and it gives us so much helpful information. I love using this as a system. Then the next thing, so we're on Number eight, we are almost there. This is the last like super specific thing. And then I have some really good lessons that I learned when navigating through my crazy IEP seasons. But up next is gathering handouts. So I used to really struggle to get ready for IEP meetings. I would be running around gathering all of these things at the last minute. And I was like, there has to be a better way. I can't be running around like a headless chicken before every meeting because it makes me look crazy and then I'm a little flustered when I'm going in. So I decided to create a binder with all of my favorite handouts so I wouldn't have to go dig for them every time and I got them super organized. I got a pretty binder. I put in sheet protectors and then I used tabs to organize the different sections. It was amazing. But then I put multiple copies of any given form in the sheet protector. And I like that because it keeps the forms nice and clean. And then it just makes it easier to flip through. One little hack that I like is that if you use a yellow highlighter, I just put a big X in yellow highlighter on my original copy of the handout. So this way I never accidentally give away the last copy of a handout because it's annoying to try and dig for that handout. And then once you give it away, you don't remember which handout was there. So that's why I started using the highlighter method. And then I just make sure I make a note to kind of go through and make new copies like every couple weeks or whatever. But I will take out the original handout whenever I'm out and then place it on the copy machine. And because I used yellow highlighter, the highlighter doesn't show up on the new copies 
and it's just a really great little trick that I love to use. So I always know which forms I have and I'm always able to keep them up to date. So I will share a link to some of my favorite forms in the show notes, but I wanted to give a quick overview of the ones that I really like. So Jenna Rayburn from Speech Room News has a really helpful handout that just explains what we do. It's called What is an SLP? And like I said, it's totally free. And I really like sharing this when (laughs) I get the feeling that a teacher or a parent doesn't really know what we do. I love it because it goes over what we do with speech and language and fluency and voice and social language. It's just a really helpful handout. I also really like the one that Amanda Newsom made. It's a bundle of different handouts and it is also totally free. It is a great companion to the what is an SLP handout because then teachers understand what we do, but then it also gives them an idea of what would make a good referral for someone or for a student in their grade. Um, So that's one that I use a lot. I also have some forms that I use when getting ready for IEPs and evaluations. There's a teacher input form that I really like. I always have this and it lets me collect their concerns for articulation, fluency, language, all of that good stuff. There's also a student observation form that I love. It helps make it a lot easier to know what to look for in the classroom and it helps structure my observation and it makes it a lot easier to write about when I'm going back into the speech room to write all of my paperwork. And then in terms of managing the other parts of the paperwork, Shannon from Speechy Musings has a really great language sample analysis checklist. I think this is a fun companion to the little cheat sheet that I made, the spreadsheet that helps you calculate MLU. It just gives you some more structure when you're looking at those. In terms of navigating evaluations, there's a bell curve visual that I love to use when I'm preparing for evaluations. I'll pull this out ahead of time and then I will kind of map out where the student falls. So when I'm explaining the results of the formal testing, it makes so much sense to parents and I'm not getting that glazed over look. And it's just a really helpful tool and it helps them know where the student is at. So all of the ones that I've mentioned so far are totally free. There's a couple that I really like from like Natalie Snyder's that explains the different areas that we target. And it's really great, a great overview for parents who are new to special education or if their student has just received a diagnosis in a number of different areas. It's really helpful to explain that. And I think parents get kind of shell-shocked when they're coming into, especially Their first evaluation, there's so much information there. And even for parents who have been doing this for several years, it's still a lot of information and we forget how much we already know and how much we're still supposed to be teaching them because it is seriously overwhelming to navigate all of this. So I think it's really helpful to have handouts and to reference them as I'm explaining something to a parent but then also to give them the option to review it at home. I think that's really powerful. And then there's a number of other handouts that I like to use, but I'll let you check out the blog post if you want to see more of those and access the links to the handouts that I just mentioned. But that is a super helpful resource. 
Um, and I just love being able to organize them in that little folder. So then we're on to our last three. So for number nine, I'm talking about gratitude. So I think this is so incredibly important. It is so, so, so easy to complain about all of the paperwork that we have and talk about how much it sucks. But who does that really benefit? If we talk about how much we hate evaluations or how much we hate writing, it just makes our job worse. It doesn't help us. So I really like to think about what the benefit is for this thing, even though I really, really don't like to do it. So I think about how amazing this is. Like it's a way to celebrate progress and it's a way to document all of the progress that a student has made over the past year. Like that's amazing. For a student who's just receiving services, it's such a powerful document that shows what their strengths are, but also we get to figure out how we're going to help this student. And I think that's a fun part of the process or we can try and make it a fun part. Like it opens up the door to all of this support. Like this student is struggling and through this document, we're able to help them and we are coming up with a plan to make that a reality. That's powerful stuff. And if you are so beyond and you cannot think of any benefits of this paperwork and you absolutely hate it, try and think of things that you're grateful for in other parts of your job. So do you have an amazing colleague or a friend who kind of helps you navigate the craziness? Or did you have an amazing therapy session? Did a kid make you laugh? Did you get a high five in the hallway? And just thinking about those different things is just so incredibly helpful. And I love the quote by Rachel Hollis that says, it's impossible to feel anxiety and gratitude simultaneously. And she also says, interrupt anxiety with gratitude. I think this is so incredibly true. I definitely have had some anxiety around getting through all of the IEPs and keeping up with the paperwork and making sure I was doing the best for my students. Even if I can't be grateful for the entire process, if I can be grateful for components of the process, it just makes things that much more doable and it makes them that much less painful. So I think this has been a game changer for me. When I started doing more work around gratitude, I found that joy in my job again, even though things were crazy and things were hard. But yes, I love that. So then the 10th thing that I have is to connect with positive SLPs. So I love the quote by Jim Rohn that says that you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. And it is so incredibly true. I've surrounded myself with people who didn't love their jobs and they love to complain all the time. And I love to complain all the time. I was right there with them. And it was just, I ended up like I was trying to get out of this hole, but then I just kept going in this cycle and I was emulating them and I was being like them. And we do spend a lot of our time with three-year-olds, children, so I don't know what this says about me, but I think it's important to have at least a couple role models or people that we look up to if you're in a district by yourself or even if you're in a large district and you guys just don't 
have the opportunity to connect with SLPs in real life, I think it's so incredibly powerful to connect with SLPs, even if you're connecting with them on Instagram. Just follow a couple people that you really admire, who have a positive outlook, who you want to be like, or who seem to enjoy their job, or who can at least poke fun at the parts that aren't so fun, or who can help you through this, because you will be the average of those people that you connect with and who you interact with. And I think that's so incredibly powerful. So even if we can't change our immediate environment, we can change who we're learning from and who we're connecting with virtually at least to kind of change how we're thinking about things. And that is so powerful. Okay. Now last one is just doing little things throughout the day to interrupt the craziness. So you can take a second to think about what you're grateful for if you want to circle back to the ninth thing that I shared. But there's other fun little things that we can do. If you're just not feeling it, pull up your computer and look at some pictures of cute animals. There's actually research to support that that can help productivity. So yes, look at some cute animals, pull up one of your favorite songs, dance it out for a second, Watch a short video clip of something funny, look up some jokes, whatever floats your boat, whatever will interrupt your like stressful thinking or your overwhelm, just find something that will light things up. You can even just change your screensaver on your computer and have pictures of your family or cute animals or whatever works for you. But those are all of the strategies that I use to survive the crazy seasons like they're not magical but they sure do help and they make it just a little bit more doable so you can keep going and showing up for those students so just a quick recap the first tip that i gave was to schedule it out and be kind to your future self just try and work ahead on your ieps as you're able use checklists to keep track of the process so it's not all in your head and super overwhelming Implement an organizational system for all of the paperwork because there's nothing more overwhelming than a massive pile of paperwork staring at you all day long. Number four is to set up templates to make it easier to get through that paperwork. Five is using a text expander to organize those templates and make them easier to access. Six is using the find and replace tool to make it easier to enter student names and pronouns. So you're not calling parents lovely daughter using a language sample tool, using the little hacks that I shared to make it easier to collect those samples, gathering handouts for all of the different purposes that you need them for and keeping them in one nice folder so it's really easy to get them, and then practicing gratitude because we can interrupt anxiety with gratitude. Thank you, Rachel Hollis. Connecting with positive SLPs because we're the average of the five people we spend the most time with. And then finding little things throughout the day. And I didn't mention this before, but you could use a piece of chocolate or you can use cute animals or pictures of your family. Whatever will make you a little bit happier even on those days when it seems like everything is going wrong. That can make an incredibly huge difference. So thank you for joining me here today. I hope this was helpful and we'll see you next time. 
Thanks for listening to the SLP Now podcast. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through Speech Therapy PD. So yes, you can earn ASHA CEUs for listening to this podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share with your SLP friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast to get the latest episodes sent directly to you. See you next time.